The second Bible reading this morning is taken from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 to 20. It can be found on page 1211 of the Church Bible. Verse, verse 14, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who, who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Jesus, uh, sorry, Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to, him, to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. So as so God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Thank you, Amit. Now we've, we have started on this series on the heartbeat of our church and, and that's because we do desire and pray that all our hearts are in sync with the heart of God, that will beat in sync, that what God loves, we love, what God desires, we desire. And so today we're focusing on this one, gospel-centered hearts. Uh, let's uh, pray once again that God will help us understand this part of Scripture. Heavenly Father, we pray that you'll be working in our hearts, that your Spirit will be convicting and challenging us in what we are to love and how we are to live in response to the love of Christ for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, did you know, if you call yourself a Christian, if you call yourself a disciple of Jesus, did you know that you have in your possession words that can change a person's life forever? Have you ever thought about it that way? You have in your possession words that can change a person's life for all eternity. And that's because you have in your possession the very words of God in Scripture, the promise of the gospel which has been given to us that we might pass on and share. Recently I've been reading a, a book, and the book's titled The Fountain of Public Prosperity. I'm only partway through it, I'm quite a slow reader, but it's a book about evangelical Christians... Bible Christians at the establishment and the building of our nation, Australia. Their influence over our country at the very beginning. And I'm up to the chapter now, and it's a fascinating chapter, where I'm reading about a man, a na naval surgeon by the name of Colin Browning. He served as a naval surgeon on eight voyages, on eight convict ships on the way to Australia. He served between 1831 and 1849. 
He was a man who was a Christian, a devout Christian, certainly believed God, a Bible man, and he knew the question I asked you before. He knew he had in his possession words that can change a man's life forever, for all eternity. And so he understood that, believed that, he, he, he knew the promise of the gospel. That can bring the spiritually dead to be spiritually alive, to bring hope to the hopeless convicts. And so he was involved in eight of the voyages, eight of the ships. On the seventh one, that left on the 24th of March in 1845, on the boat as the surgeon superintendent. He made sure all the convicts were schooled and taught to read so that by the time they got to Australia, they would be able to read. But what he also did was he fed them a diet of the Bible, the, the prayer book. He was Anglican the ser and sermons that he preached. After 23 days, eight of the convicts became Christians. Eight after 23 days. After another 12 days, there were 14. It grew to. And then after another 11 days, it became 27 believers. On that ship, there were 220 convicts. By the time they landed on the 7th of July in 1985, there were, out of the 220 convicts, 156 converts from that journey. Isn't that amazing? So many became Christians that the guards on that ship, they had, had it very easy, that entire journey. There were no floggings, no use of irons, no one had to place, be placed in a cell. But what was it about Colin Browning that changed the lives of all those convicts? What did he have in his possession? Well, what he had in his possession is what we have today. It is the word of scripture. It is the promise of the gospel. He said this in the book. He said, I find the amount of reformation amongst the convicts strikingly to correspond with the degree of diligence and zeal with which the gospel in its divine simplicity was brought to bear upon their understandings, consciences and hearts. What did he do? to bring 70% of the convicts to faith in Jesus so that by the time they landed, they came to Australia with a heart to serve Christ. What did he have? He had the words of God. He knew the promise of the gospel, which he shared. And isn't that how every one of us who claims to be a Christian, wasn't that how we became believers in the first place? Because someone took time to share with us the promise of the gospel. And um, that was the experience of, I'm sure, not just us, but Christians of every generation. And so what I did this week was I did a little survey amongst some of the people in our church, and I asked them, how do you come to be a Christian? When did it happen? Who shared it with you? And do you know what I discovered? Everyone who became a Christian, someone shared the gospel with them. 50% it was their parents, 30% it was the church they went to, 20% it was their friends. 90% became Christians by the time they turned 18. But you see what Browning said. It is that gospel in its divine simplicity. When we share it, we can change a life forever. And that is why we are to be a church 
with gospel-centered hearts. It really needs to be the center of our heartbeat, what our heart is like. A church that longs for and yearns for and prays for the saving of souls. A church where we're not just concerned about the things and the people within these four walls, but people outside. And there needs to be a burden upon our hearts for the many who are lost. There needs to be a, a burden that continues to weigh upon our heart. Because you see, all of us, I'm sure it's still true, we have family members, parents, perhaps siblings, uncles, aunties, friends, neighbours, who are still lost and without hope unless they come to know Jesus. I remember one week last year, I had a chat with one of the sisters from our church out the back here. And we were reflecting a bit on the sermon, but we were reflecting on, on the burden of the gospel we should feel. And so as she was sharing with me, she was saying how she's got aunties and uncles who are not yet believers. Her mum, not yet a believer. And so she shared with me with tears. It was a heavy burden upon their heart because she's seen and seeing that they are without hope unless they come to know Jesus. Their, their eternal destiny, it's really hopeless. They won't be in heaven with her. And so that's the burden that we're meant to feel if we are a Christian. And that's why we're meant to be a gospel-centered heart church. You see, we're meant to be like that because the flip side is so much, so joyful, so wonderful. If you've been involved in any way in seeing people come to faith, in being used by God to bring anyone to faith, it just fills you with so much joy. I, I remember my first experience of feeling this way. It was towards the end of high school. I was sharing the, the, my faith with my friend who, who was interested, surprisingly. I shared with him uh, the gospel for a few months and into university. And I still remember when he told me, I believe now. I believe in Jesus. It filled my heart with joy. And so that's the heart we're meant to have. A burden for the lost, but a joy when anyone comes to faith. And I still, still pray for this friend of mine 20 years, 20 years on. So we're meant to have gospel-centered hearts. That is the heartbeat of our church. And we're told why in this passage. So, so do keep your Bible open to 2 Corinthians. We're told why here where we should be concerned for the lost. We're told why here why we are to have gospel-centered hearts. It is because we are compelled by the love of Christ. Do you see that in verse 14? For Christ's love compels us. That is, it controls us, it directs us, it motivates us. It's interesting there, isn't it? Our sharing of the gospel. It's not so much because of our love for God or our love for the neighbor, but it is because of Christ's love for us that compels us, that controls us, that sends us out. And so we read verse 14 again. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. How much does Christ love us? Well, enough to die for us. And so when you reflect on that, how can we not be compelled by the love of Christ? How can we not be controlled by the love of Christ? Sometimes I find it helpful just to 
to reflect on what Jesus did for me, to help me understand and appreciate the depth of his love for me. Now, do you remember years ago, a bit over a decade ago, Mel Gibson made that movie, The Passion of the Christ? Remember that movie? It's quite a gruesome movie. It's intended to be an accurate portrayal of what the crucifixion was like. Brutal, bloody. You know, the flogging, the, the ripping off of flesh, it was just terrible, horrific to watch. And so that movie, in one sense, it was quite an accurate picture of what the crucifixion would have been like. But where it falls short was one area. And that was, in the ancient world, those who were crucified, now to the cross, hoisted up, they were crucified naked. In the movie, he had a little cloth. The crucifixes we see around the place, they have a little cloth. In the ancient world, they were hoisted up, crucified naked, for their shame to be displayed uh, uh, before the world. And so as I reflect on that, who was it that was hung up there on the cross? It wasn't just any ordinary man, but one who willingly went to the cross, who was hung there, now there, for the world to see and for the world to scorn at him. Who would do that willingly? Only Jesus did. And why did he do it? Out of love. The God of the universe, the one who had power over all things, shamed by the world he made. And so when you reflect on the love of Christ to that extent, how can you not be compelled by his love? What we're told here. And that's meant to compel us to live for him. That's what we go on to see. If Jesus died the death he did for us, then our life is not ours anymore. He owns it. It belongs to him. He purchased it. And so we see that in verse 15. Look at verse 15. And he died for all, that those who died should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. And so our life now is not ours. It belongs to the one who died for us. But what does it look like to live for Christ? Well, among living a life of love, of service, of sacrifice, it is to proclaim him. It is to be a part of his mission in this world, to bring about new creation in the people we share the gospel with. You see, when anyone becomes a Christian, it's no small matter. It's not like a change of preference or a change of lifestyle. It's a new creation. It's a new beginning. It's what Browning did with the convicts on the ship. Everyone who believed became a new person. The old is gone. They start afresh. They have a new life with God. So by the time they ended up in Australia, they did not come as merely convicts, but as Christians, as children of the living God. You see, that's the work of bringing anyone to faith. It is the work of bringing new life, a new creation. Look at verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And that is the ministry we have all been called to. Not just those who are paid for it, not just those who go to Bible college, but all of us. The ministry of bringing reconciliation between mankind and God. The work of bringing peace between people and the living God to bring life to the dead, to bring hope to the hopeless, to bring peace 
in a world where there is so little peace. And so that's what we see. Look at verses 18 and 19 now. All this is from God, which tells us this is all God's idea. God's work, God's initiative is not our plan, our, our thought. God's initiative. So all this is from God, verse 18, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sin against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. So, Do you see what the Apostle Paul was saying here? Every single Christian you have in your possession the message of reconciliation. The message that can bring peace between mankind and God himself as we proclaim Christ. We have to see how extraordinary that is. That you have in your possession words like that. Now recently you may have, if you keep up with the news, especially American news, you may have heard President Trump's effort in trying to bring peace in the Middle East between Israel and the and the Palestinians. It is his peace plan. Israel, Palestine, they've been fighting each other for about 70 years and, and it's just chaos all the time. Imagine living in a place like that where you fear for your life, there's danger around, you just feel unstable and unsettled all the time. If he was able to bring peace, brilliant. Peace in the Middle East. But let's compare it to the ministry that's been given to you. The ministry of reconciliation, not just between men and men, women and women, nation and nation, but between mankind and God. Far greater, because it's a peace that will last into all eternity. The news won't write about it when anyone becomes a Christian, but it is so important, far more important. And so we are to have gospel-centered hearts, to live for Christ, to proclaim Christ, and finally, we see here, we're to live as ambassadors of Christ. Now, we may not realize this. We're all quite ordinary Christians. But we may not realize this, but we've been entrusted with an enormous responsibility by God himself. And at the same time, an enormous responsibility comes an enormous privilege you see, on the world stage, if you think about the important people in our world, they're our world rulers. And perhaps one of the most prestigious or strategic roles, apart from being the head of state, is to be an ambassador of a nation. They're to be treated with the same respect of the nation they represent. They're to be treated with dignity if you're an ambassador of a nation. You represent your country. You've got privileges and rights. You've got perks. But, but here you see what Paul says here. Not just an ambassador of some nation. The Christian is an ambassador of God himself. All believers. Is that profound? It's the badge we wear. We represent God. Look at verse 20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. Now, Paul was speaking about himself and his apostles, but as a derivative, it applies to all Christians because we've been entrusted with the same task. We're therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. 
And so what that means then is that after our service, as we head home, as we go back to work, go to study, as we go shopping, as we fill up the petrol, we in fact move around and walk around as ambassadors of God himself. It is an amazing privilege, but of course also an amazing responsibility because we bear the message of reconciliation. You can have peace with God if you believe in Jesus. And so did you know that? That you have in your possession words that can change a person's life for all eternity. The love of Christ compels us to live for him, to proclaim him, to live as his ambassadors. And it is why as a church we are to have gospel-centered hearts. Now I wonder how that makes you feel, that that is the responsibility laid upon you. How does it make you feel? Daunted? Inadequate? Or indifferent? You see, for some of us, we might hear this, God's given me that responsibility, and some of us might just feel, I'm, I'm daunted by this. Of course, I want to have a gospel-centered heart, but, but isn't it a bit risky, especially in our society today? Isn't it a bit uncomfortable to be proclaiming Christ, to be standing on the truth? I mean, I might risk my friendship if I speak out. I might be seen at work, in the workplace, as the Bible person, and I don't want to be that. Or look at what happened to Margaret Court how she was treated by the media and by so many people. I don't want to be hated like she was hated. And so I feel daunted by this task, this responsibility. Now, if that's how you're feeling, a bit daunted by this, it makes a lot of sense. But we remember the love of Christ that compels us. If he was willing to hang on the cross naked, out of love for us to save us, I'm sure we can be a bit uncomfortable for him and his sake. If he was willing to die for us, I'm sure we should be willing to do a bit for him. That sister I shared with you before, she who felt that burden of the unsaved family members, she was aware that she felt that burden, but unless someone went to them, shared with them the gospel of Jesus, invite them to believe, they will be without hope. It's uncomfortable, but someone has to do it. Someone has to bring the message to them. And so if you feel daunted, we are in fact here to help as a church. You'll notice in the newsletter, we will have an event coming up next month about helping us all share Christ in our story. How can we engage and share the gospel? That's a shameless plug for that. But for some of us, it might, be, uh, might not be the feeling of being daunted by this, but it might be the sense of feeling just inadequate. How can I do it? Who am I to be called an ambassador of Jesus Christ? Who am I to be able to speak words that can change a person's life for eternity? I mean, why doesn't God instead raise up 10 more Billy Grahams and save the world through those men like that? Why doesn't God instead raise up a small army like Colin Browning's and, and do what he did? Why me? I'm so inadequate. Over the holidays, um, quite
quite a number of weeks ago now, it feels a long time ago, if I know myself, we would take the opportunity just to reflect on, on where God has placed us, the responsibilities God has given to us, and we will reflect with each other how are we here. We feel so inadequate for the task. Who are we to, to care, to speak words that might bring life? And we feel so inadequate. And so has God made some mistake with us? And so if you feel inadequate, you're actually in good company. But why must we, even in our inadequacies, live for Christ and proclaim him? Why not just leave it to someone else? Well, it's because that's how God works. You see, it's, it's as though God looked down from heaven upon us and God's asking, where will I find inadequate, incompetent people to bring my message of reconciliation to this world? Where will I find weak vessels so that the power displayed is mine alone? And where did God look? Well, it doesn't have to go far. It's every Christian. Inadequate people just like you and me. Weak vessels just like you and me. But yet in us, the words of eternal life, entrusted with the gospel that can bring life. And so God says, I'm picking you, all of you Christians. And so if we do feel inadequate, that is a right feeling. But we're the very people God will use to bring life to the lost. And so it's okay to feel a bit daunted. It's okay to feel inadequate. But what we, what we must not feel is indifference. We cannot look at the cross of Jesus Christ and see the Son of God who died for us and be unaffected by that, not compelled by his love. We cannot look at the sea of people around us with, amongst the people we know and in the world around us, knowing that they are living their life without hope, without an eternal destiny that is going to be in heaven and not be affected by that. You see, to be a part of our church family, we need a focus not just within the four wars, but the world around us, the people around us. To be a part of our church family, it's not, remember, boarding a cruise ship where we come to watch the view and be served. It's not a cruise ship. To be a part of this church family is to get on a lifeboat and to be in it together, in the business of saving lives, working together, pulling bodies out of the water into the boat. That is our business. Being a part of this church family, we must have gospel-centered hearts. And you can just imagine what heaven will be like one day. Because we'll all have our part to play, small pieces in someone's life along the way. And we're all influenced in some minor way as we speak of Christ and proclaim him. And you can just imagine what heaven will be like one day. A reunion of all the saints. And I imagine it to be quite exciting as you hear stories that will be going around. Someone coming up to you and they say to you, you may not remember me, you probably don't even know my name. But I was in your Sunday school class when I was three years old. And you taught me the Lord's Prayer, and I still remember it. In heaven, there'll be someone else coming along and say, I was in that dark season of life, but it was you. You showed me love. You invited me in. You welcomed me, and you prayed for me, and you invited me to church. Another one, I was on campus. I was just minding my own business, but you came and 
spoke to me about God. And God, he came to my mind and I accepted Jesus. Or another one, you knew how stubborn I was in my heart, but your years of persistent prayers for me, God softened my heart and I'm here because of you. Another one, I was in your youth group and you asked me at the end of the class, have you submitted your life to Jesus yet? You were the first asset, and I'm here because of you. Another, well, it was on beach mission. I wasn't even thinking about God, but you placed God on my mind and in my heart. Or it was on the convict ship. You read the scriptures, you preached those sermons as the waves were raging and crashing, and I believe because of you. Or another, it's, it's mum and dad. Thank you for reading those Bible stories to me as I was growing up. I've never forgotten them. You can just imagine how wonderful and glorious heaven will be as we all live our lives living for Christ, proclaiming him as his ambassadors. We cannot be indifferent when it comes to the love of Christ for us. We cannot be indifferent when we see so many lost souls. But we are to be a people with gospel-centered hearts. That is to be the heartbeat of our church. So let's pray towards that end. Let's pray.